We're designed so that if you do a search on our site, or if you just look at our site, the first three things you'll see are different perspectives on the same thing, which gives people, enables us as people to understand the issue more thoroughly, more completely. My name is Linda Laurel, and I'm asking you to have the courage to listen with an open mind to all of our voices, because our voices matter. I want to take a moment to thank BMW of West Houston for sponsoring this episode of our Voices Matter podcast. BMW, of course, is known as the ultimate driving machine because of its precision and power. As someone who has driven a BMW for many years now, I can attest to that firsthand. But I think what's even more important, especially about this particular BMW dealership, is that it understands the power and the impact of giving back to its community. BMW of West Houston is known for its support of countless local charities, and that is important to us here at Our Voices Matter podcast. So if you choose to do business with BMW of West Houston, not only will you be getting the stellar first-class service that the dealership is known for, but you can also rest assured that you are doing business with a dealership that truly cares about and gives back to its community. Hey, everybody, it's Linda Laurel. So glad you joined us for this new episode of our Voices Matter podcast. My guest today is John Gable, the founder and CEO of AllSides.com. I had the pleasure of meeting John a few years ago when we both participated in a panel about bridging our divides, bringing us together. I just really took an instant liking to him and especially to the platform that he has created allsides.com. It frees people from their filter bubbles so they can better understand and connect with each other and the world. And as John says, sort of tongue in cheek, in other words, fulfill the original promise of the internet. And speaking of the internet, he was there back in the day, Microsoft, uh, Netscape, AOL, uh, it goes on and on. So he's a tech guy from Silicon Valley, BA in philosophy from Vanderbilt, MBA from Duke, a former political aide for the Republican Party, and I say that because it comes up in our conversation, um, just a terrific guy, um, really gets, obviously, the media landscape and the role that it is playing in our political divide. I've wanted to talk to him for a long time to have him on the podcast, and now here he is. So please enjoy my conversation with John Gable. John Gable, it is a pleasure to welcome you to Our Voices Matter podcast. So good to be here. Good to see you again. It's good to see you again as well. So I have been thinking a lot about you, actually, because um, doing the podcast, talking to people about our political divides and where we are as a nation, it seems that uh, we are not finding our way toward each other, but we are still going farther and farther apart. Um, I did a podcast interview where I was interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and I actually talked about your platform, All Sides, when I was asked the question about media bias and the filter bubbles that we have all seemingly retreated into, making us even more extreme and less likely to talk to one another. And I mentioned All Sides. So I'm going to stop talking now and ask you 
to tell our audience what allsides.com is and why you founded it. Yeah, but it's, it's great that you really understand this problem. We've talked before, we've been in some panels together and it's, it's, it's wonderful to hear that. The, what All Sides does is we really started specifically with the idea of getting people out of these filter bubbles. It was, even though we ended up in the political space, we understood, I'm, I'm an old Netscape guy. Um, I Netscape Navigator, for people who don't know, was the first popular web browser, the first real way people got on the internet in a, a massive way. And actually, it was 25 years ago this month, which is kind of scary, um, yeah. where I gave a speech where I was talking about all the great things that the internet was supposed to do that we were looking forward to doing, where we would have more and better information, make better decisions, be able to connect with people as individuals across the world, understand them as they are versus a stereotype. But I said back then that I was afraid that the internet would also train us to discriminate against each other in new ways. That the way the information and relationships flow are kind of this is similar to that. And so I actually started, we started doing prototypes for all sides 10 years ago, really starting from the point of view that the internet was broken. And that because the internet was broken, that broke down the way that information traveled and relationships travel in a way that wasn't very good. And therefore, that would drive us apart. And we didn't have the language back then. We didn't talk about filter bubbles, but that's really the term we talk about now, how we would be in these different filter bubbles and divide as a result of that. And All Sites was founded to really solve that problem, not just to kind of be like a little new site that covers left and right, which is a wonderful thing to do, but we've actually developed some patented and unique technology to really verify and operationalize showing different perspectives on the same thing. So if you do a search on Google on an issue or a news story, you'll get lots of different results, but more often than not, the first 10 results all come from the same perspective. They tend to be whatever the most popular idea is or what idea most matches your opinion or the best marketed idea, which or the, the best supported idea and the idea that has most money behind it. We're designed so that if you do a search on our site or if you just look at our site, the first three things you'll see are different perspectives on the same thing, which gives people, enables us as people to understand the issue more thoroughly, more completely, as opposed to just seeing one corner of one side of an issue so many times you're convinced we're 100% right when we only know like 10% of what's going on. And that's right. really where all sides came from. And I, I love the whole concept and just the idea of being able to look at, you know, the, the, the same headline or not the same headline, but the same story from the left, from the center, from the right. The headlines sometimes are wildly different. You can even read the, the first two lines of, of each, uh, of each article and you can see the perspectives. I once, I was talking to some kids, um, at a leadership summit a couple years ago and, um, and I did an exercise with them using allsides.com and I read the, I read the headlines and I said, now tell me which perspective do you think this is? And it was so interesting. They loved, they loved it. So anyway, I, I think this is such an important, um, it's such an important tool and, and website that you have created. So you just celebrated your 10th anniversary. Congratulations. Um, tell me what has changed from 2012 to 2022 in terms of 
how people are utilizing the site and whether you think you are gaining traction and actually making a difference, helping to bring us closer together. Yes, it's it's been a crazy time. Ten years ago, I would go to people and explain how, and to investors, explain how we were being divided in these different groups. And I'd show them all this incredible data and all this trends and compare it even to times back in the Civil War. But I would spend about 20 minutes talking about that. And at the end, you could almost hear them saying to themselves, I mean, they'd say nice things. Yeah, I think you're right, John. And you could almost hear their brain saying, go enjoy your little academic project. I've got other things to do. Now, if I spend more than five minutes describing the program, the problem, people get bored or like asking what to do about it. And in a weird way, it's actually quite good that the problems become not just, I mean, it's a bigger problem now, but then now we understand the problem. Similar to when you're dealing with addicts, you can't really solve the problem until you're aware that there is a problem. And initially we were starting and we had a lot of pushback on that there is a problem that we would divide as a nation, that it would actually even threaten the effectiveness of our democratic republic at work. And now that people understand the problem. So we're at that first stage, which is good. Mm -hmm. The Back then, we actually, the website was just a prototype to show media companies what we could do for them. And we went to different media companies. We actually didn't intend it to grow online like it has. That was not our original concept. Um, it was just a little prototype we did. And what, what we you, went to media companies. Let me ask you this. What were you planning to do for them? So I'm a media company. I'm the Washington Post. What, what can you do for me? Well, we what thought we plan? could do is say, here, we could provide you this tool to automatically, with just a couple of people, provide a huge spectrum of coverage of all these different issues. And not only can you cover them more objectively by providing the, and fairly by providing these different perspectives, but you, you can cover a lot more news of a lot less people um, by not rewriting something that 80 other people have already written. And so whether you use this as a tool internally for your reporters or to publish directly online, we can help hmm. you do that. And we went around and it's interesting, most of the media companies we talked to love the idea of objective um, news, love the idea of showing left, center, right. But when you got to it, turned out that they were only interested in their side, not anybody else's side. And we even went into one news organization, I, I won't say who, um, but it was the CEO and their chief news editor, um, chief editor, and then a, a technology team all together. And the chief editor, got so upset with the idea that um, th that he actually started getting red in the face and sweating. And he wasn't like, it's not left or right, it's right or wrong. And he really kind of had a bit of a meltdown. And wow. it was interesting um, seeing that. Now, I, I understand and I get that, and I really get actually, how journalists are often attacked by people from one side or the other. So I think we all in this area have kind of a little PTSD <laughs> that we've been so criticized and attacked by people from one side or the other saying we're wrong or right about this, that it can be easy to be, to react negatively to the idea. But what we really want to do is help all journalists and the internet at large to be able to provide a broader spectrum of information for people. At the end of the day, I'm a product guy. I'm an old technology guy. I want to have products that enable people to do things better, to think better for themselves, to decide for themselves, to connect with people different than they are and have a real discussion. And that's really the, the, the approach we take. 
So interesting. So, um, so you were, you were sort of taking us from 2012 to 2022. And so people get it now. They understand filter bubbles. We've been living with them pretty seriously now for quite some time. Um, take me back to January 6th of 2021 when the insurrection took place. What was going on at all sides that day? How did you guys deal with that? It was interesting. The there was no question that, that was a scary thing. I mean, we we generally focus on getting different perspectives out there, not necessarily being mm-hmm. the first to cover the news, but mm-hmm. cover the different perspectives of it. And it's interesting when you look at what happened that day. You had. Mitch McConnell, the lead Republican, um, after Trump and, and Pence were out of the White House, saying before the, the riot insurrection, this is horrible. Um, he was actually very verbal and spent time on the Senate floor saying the, there should be no problems with the election. These, these um, ideas that it's not a legitimate election are not true. They're not bad. He was actually very verbal about it, very strong about it. He did wait until all the court cases closed, which had finished weeks before that. But today he's criticized by a lot of people on the left who were like, thought that he should call it immediately after, as opposed to waiting for the court cases to come out. But he was very strong about that. And then when the riots started to happen, he was really hardcore about it. He he was, this is the most awful thing he'd seen. And what's been lost is how there was bipartisan um, just they, they were so unhappy. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get the right word because it's mm-hmm. like they almost, it was just disgusted them so much. Right. Um, on both on sides of the aisle. And right. On yes, both sides exactly. of the aisle. Yes, exactly. Now exactly. with what was going on and you even hear today, I mean, and there are some politicians try to, who do not fit that category. There were some politicians who were saying, Hey, they should be heard and all that stuff. But the majority of the, um, certainly in the Senate, were just disgusted with what they saw on both the left and mm-hmm. the right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and it was a disgusting thing. Now there were other riots and protests, including in the summer before that got out of hand. Some were good, some got out of hand. And so I think a lot of people on the right see both of those as scary things. They see any protests that turn into destruction of, of property and destru- mm-hmm. and and violent are terrible. They, they actually like the idea of protests, even if they're protesting against something don't agree with, they think that's a fine thing. Um, I think that you, what you'll see today is a lot of people on the right were as concerned about the 200 or so um, um, summer protests, Black Lives Matters protests, if you were, the small percentage, but still over 200 as overall number, protests that got a little bit more violent, destruction of pro- property and all that stuff. They saw that as dangerous as what happened at that one day at the Capitol. Now, over time, I think there are other things that concern people because it wasn't just that group that got out of hand, but, and most of them were just acting on their own. But I think people are more concerned about learning more about the things that Pence and Trump were doing separate to try to challenge the legitimacy of the law. And that's gotten people concerned. But that day, that's just a bad day. And, but you know what? America, we have protests. We have protests that go out of hand. And we, the thing we need to do is figure out what's the next step. What do we do from here? 
And that's where I'm most concerned about. I'm most concerned that a lot of looking back is being so um, slanted in one partisan way or the other to lead to things that I want us to make sure that we move forward in the best possible way for our democratic republic, for our democratic society. And it's in typical political ways, which is always true, different partisan sides try to take it in different ways and try to make it mean something different than it did at the time. And I just want us to have a good conscious decision about what or discussion about what happened and what to do going forward that's most effective for everyone. What kinds of comments are you getting? Because um, I know part of the platform allows people to, uh, you know, weigh in like most like most uh, online uh, platforms, you can leave comments, and etc. So how, how are the comments today different from the comments when you started this 10 years ago? We have comments in social media, but frankly, comments are not really a, a big piece of what we do, but we read them all because mm -hmm. we have, we're a little bit different than a lot of news organizations in that we really do have a balanced audience. Um, we do surveys all the time of our audience. It's not always perfect, but one time, not long ago, it was perfect. <laughs> it was, I think, 29% self-described left, 29% self-described right, and 42% center. And it, it fluctuates from there a little bit back and forth. But overall, we have a very balanced audience. And so you get kind of what you hear. You get people, um, you know, the best way to describe it, and there are lots of other surveys on this, you'll see, a lot of Democrats, the majority of Democrats and the majority of Republicans think the other side are going to destroy America. They're going to destroy the democratic society. And you hear and you see the comments reflecting that. You see the comments of why Democrats think the Republicans are going to destroy democracy. And you see comments from the Republicans who are why they think the Democrats are going to destroy democracy. And frankly, they both have some good points. <laughs> and they both also take it farther than it should. I mean, I think that our democratic republic, our system of government, is always in balance, that we always have to fight to preserve it and and fight to preserve the value for our people. And you see that, that in comments. So um, you bring the your personal perspective, and I'm thinking now about the, the TED Talk that you did with Joan Blades, um, who is the co-founder of MoveOn.org. Um, and she is a liberal, and you are a conservative. And your TED Talk with her has over 1.3 million views at this point. Um, oh, cool. Why did you guys decide to to do that? And um, what, how did that how did that come about? It's it's really an example, obviously, of of all sides and what you're trying to do there. But why did you decide to do that TED Talk with Joan? Yeah, it was interesting that the most powerful thing people remember from that TED Talk was that Joan and I are truly friends, that these people are opposite sides are really working together and really enjoy each other, appreciate each other. And it's very true. We talk every week. In fact, I'm going on a walk with her later today um, in, the, in the Headlands over um, over in the East Bay. I'm, I'm in San Francisco. She's across the river, uh, across the bay. Um, and it's actually started with a walk. Somebody introduced us at a conference and I went on a walk with Joan. And I joked even in the TED Talk that one thing you remember is if Joan Blades asks you to go on a walk, go on that walk. <laughs> uh, what was <laughs> what was fabulous about it was she and I both are very, very devoted to America working 
um, succeeding for its people and, and working together to solve these problems. I came about it from like my philosophy background and philosophy major, or business school guy saying, okay, information's flowing wrong. And yeah, there are relationships you got to work on. And she, um, being a early founder or co-founder of moveon.org, which is really a community that came together, she saw it all about relationships and how people work in relationship oriented as well as the issues. And so we both had the same ideas, but she was focused on the relationship. I was focused more on the information. And we both realized it's really both in mm -hmm. huge ways. So we've worked mm -hmm. since then, starting a schools program together, and she's part of the All Sides board, I'm part of their board, um, to really bring both of those together because our brains don't really engage until we have enough of a trust relationship with the other person to even listen honestly and openly. And then once you get there, if it's just about a kumbaya moment in his relationship, you don't go get anywhere. You need to actually get to the brunt of the issue. You need to talk about things and actually truly hear the differences that we have as well as the similarities and work through that. We really need both. And so Joan and Living Room Conversations has been a fabulous partner of ours. And we've really evolved what we do in so yeah, many tell, different tell ways. Me, tell the audience what Living Room Conversations is, because I, I love this. Yeah, so Living Room Conversations started, well, Joan is a big, big advocate of climate change and, and well, <laughs> fighting climate change. She doesn't want to see more of it. And um, she'd been working with people on left and right for years. And what she found at a point was that it was hard to get people in the same room, that they weren't listening to each other anymore. And and she realized that it was so broken that she couldn't have an impact on that issue or other issues she cares about because you couldn't even get people in the same room and they wouldn't listen to each other. So she developed with them some experts in psychology and practitioners and social really scientific studies on how a conversation works to create a structured conversation. And the basic living room conversation is one person and a friend who disagree on an issue or on opposite sides politically, each invite two friends of theirs. And then you have this group of six come together and they follow a structured conversation where at the beginning you accidentally, I like to say, discover the humanity of the other people who are very different than you are. And then as you, because you're talking about yourself, you're talking about why this matters to you, not about why the other people are wrong or by about what you heard about this or that, but you start with that. And the similarities, even in these groups are supposed to be very different, are remarkable in terms of what we care about, what we're worried about. And a lot of it gets down to how we think it can be fixed or more or even more often nowadays just what we've heard because we only hear one side or the other we are unaware of that this other side actually cares about the same thing i do they're just trying to solve it in a different way right. and it's really remarkable and so we've been working with them and now we've taken it online so we actually do these major online events so we can get not just small groups of living rooms but thousands of living rooms across the nation where we automatically mismatch people. We automatically connect people who from different sides for a conversation. We're going to, uh, we did something called America Talks with USA Today, Listen First and some other partners last year. We're going to do another one in April this year where we yeah, get thousands I, I of people. I participated in that actually. I oh, participated in that last year. Yeah. What was your experience yeah. like? Everybody's, were you in a one-on-one -on -one group or a different um, kind of group? You know, actually, it, it was it was a one-on-one -on -one group. And the person that I was matched with, as it turns out, was it was a mismatch in that we were aligned politically. 
And so we were not on opposite sides, but we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, yeah, that's yeah, actually one thing that happened to a few people during the first America talks. And we are actually really? changing our systems to get invite a lot more conservatives and have a much more balanced group and even have larger groups if it's a little bit of balance. So, yeah, that's I, I, unfortunate. We, we had a lot of good mismatches, but it was a little bit we had some exceptions to that. Well, it's it's such a you know, it's such an ambitious um, idea to do that on such a on such a large scale. But um, but it, it takes that because, you know, at the at the end of the day, this all has to come back to human connection. Um, and any any opportunity that we can take to be in front of each other and listening with an open mind and um, and having so these structured conversations, they're not moderated. Are they by by an outside no. person? No, no. The, the, the people who are participating are given the, the structure. This is how we're going to do it. And we all agree to do it this way. And then and then you sit and you listen and you talk. Um, and I you know, that's the reason that I do this podcast is I just feel like, you know, somebody who might be, uh, you know, watching this or listening to this. Um, might, you know, look at the, the blurb and look at your photo and see that, you know, you're a Republican, you're a conservative, and they have already decided what you're all about. Yeah. And maybe, hopefully, by the end of this conversation, they will have changed their mind to the point where they can look at you as a human being and see the commonalities that you have. You know, you care about your country. You want us to, to not be divided. You, you know, just want to go about it in a different way. Some, some of your best friends are progressives, right? <laughs> very, very, very true. Yes. Right. Right. So I think we just have to have these examples to show each other that it can actually, we can coexist in this way and actually do some good. The examples are very important. And there are a couple of other things that are good to keep in mind. First of all, you can operationalize having people from different sides. So that's what we do at all sides. Yes, I'm I'm on the right. Most of the news team, most of the companies actually more on the left. We we actually have on our website how every single person on our staff is left, center, right, and they also take different surveys and similar. You'll see that we're all across the nation, so we're also thinking about filter bubbles, that geographic urban versus rural, um, left and right, as well as ages and genders and, and, and race and a variety of other things. We consciously and operationally make sure that all the different kinds of segments are part of it so that you get a good balance. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's interesting to keep in mind is I think it's natural for all of us to occasionally look at what's going on and in the news, which tends to highlight the more obnoxious, horrible things. And go, oh, we're, 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 there's no chance. And when you talk to academics who study history and study movements, by movements, I mean anytime when a certain idea has changed policy, has changed culture, has made a shift to that society. They say that every time you get a critical mass of three and a half percent of people committed or engaged in that movement in some way, that that happens, that Laws change, society changes, culture changes, all that changes. We have 330 million Americans in, in the U.S. And depending on whether you count just registered voters or just adults, in, all we have to do to shift our culture to really re-engage our democratic republic is somewhere between five and a half and eight and a half million people. 
that's not that many, especially for my background in Microsoft and Netscape. That's not that a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so when you see or hear uh, people who seem to be just so extreme, they'll never make a change. First of all, recognize appearances can be deceiving. Um, often there are, they're, they're more open to different ideas than you think they may just be, be caught at a bad time or being pushed in one way or the other. But more than that is it's only, it's up to the rest of us. Each of us can be part of that three and a half percent that changes the future of our nation. And frankly, it's not just about our nation. It's, it's worldwide. And that's what we're enabling. And that's what Joan and I are devoted for too. And a lot of other, there are over a thousand organizations. I think Princeton recently counted 5,000 something organizations in one way or other devoted to bridging divides. That's not, that's 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 how how we, we met, we met in Convergence. Convergence is a fabulous organization, a great example, and they're really working on policies and getting leaders in every stakeholder, left, center, right, as well as union and business and um, consumer groups and all that working together to really solve individual issues. A great organization. Yeah, I love being on the board and and we are we're we're doing some some great work and we've got a lot of exciting things that are that are happening and, you know, getting ready to come out soon. Um, So as we wrap this up, um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your personal perspective. Um, as a citizen, as a family man, um, how are you feeling about where we are and where we're headed? Um, what, what are you thinking? I am weird and I'm both more optimistic and more horrified at the same time. <laughs> it's just bizarre. <laughs> Join the club. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> I, people always talk about what's scaring them. Let me talk about why I, I actually do see a, a, a big shift going on. The first thing I already mentioned, we understand this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And when I was so worried about this, I quit my day job to devote my life to this. Nobody else really, well, not no, but the, the general public didn't understand this problem was mm-hmm. there. And I was more worried then in a lot of ways because I thought it was really a horrible cancer that people didn't even know they had yet. Now we understand there's a problem. Um, with Winston Churchill's wonderful quote, America always does the right thing after it's tried everything else. I think we're kind of in the after we're trying everything else mode right now. And that's concerning. And how bad that gets concerns me. And there's no guarantee that we're going to right the ship. Um, American history is full of places where things got bad and we ended up going in a better direction. And sometimes we ended up going the bad, worst direction for a while. And then we got better. I do see this as very similar to the printing press. If you really take a bigger picture, look at it. Um, because I see a lot of these changes driven by the way our communications and technologies have changed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. back in the printing press world, we all think of the printing press, we think of Reformation and the, and the Enlightenment and all these wonderful things that the written word have done. But at first, as soon as books got small enough for people to transport them around, there were serious riots and fights against the establishment, establishment fighting back. There was a lot of pornography out there at the beginning, just like the internet. There was a lot of misinformation, a lot of fake news, a lot of completely made up stuff that was printed and spread all over the place, like we're, like we're experiencing now. After about a hundred years, two things happened. 
people began to understand how to use a book. When they read a book, they didn't realize if, if they, they realized that they saw something that infuriated them that, that maybe they didn't necessarily have to go attack somebody that it might not be the whole story. So there's kind of a media literacy that happened. And then also we had new technologies. We had libraries that came about and we even had more credible publishers that could weed out some of that misinformation or, or one-sided stuff. And then the enlightenment happened and reformation happened. But it took 100 years. Um, I often talk about how all sites and all these other organizations we're, we're working with, our goal is in one way to reduce 100 years to about 20. And I think we're about halfway through there. And so this is a tough, turbulent time. We've had them in the 60s and other times throughout history. And we have to work through this. And keep our if we keep our eyes on the goal, if we keep our eyes on a society that appreciates differences in different people with different ideas, um, urban and rural, um, black and white, man and woman, young and old, left and right, which is actually the biggest divide today, which is if we keep our minds focused on the common humanity and our common goals of actually having something that takes care of our nation and works together in a positive way, I think we'll be fine. And I think we're on that path. It's just as a bumpy as hell ride, excuse me. Um, and okay. oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, and it, it I'm is. just and hoping to get us out there, get, get out of it sooner rather than later. I'm with you on that. And you mentioned something really, really important in what you just said, and that is media literacy. And I have been lately really trying to preach that. I just think that there is, there is such an important role for media literacy in this entire debate, in this entire um, situation that we are trying to grapple with right now. Yeah. Because um, I, I did a, an interview a couple of weeks ago with um, a former colleague and friend of mine who is a very decorated investigative journalist. And we were talking about this. And, you know, I, I, I said, I, I just believe that the public needs to have a better understanding of how journalism is is made, you know, how how stories get printed, how they get on the air, et cetera. Nowadays, everybody can, thinks they can call themselves a journalist because they can point a camera and interview somebody. Well, that doesn't make you a journalist. So we need to educate the public about what journalism is and what it isn't. And then, you know, sites like yours, all sides, that shows the different perspectives, I think is such a brilliant idea and is needed now more than ever. And, and to your point, I think now we're ready for it because back then you were, you know, you were ahead of the curve t 10 years ago, but now people are like, okay, I get it. We're living in our bubbles and maybe this is one way for us to educate ourselves and see how to get out of those bubbles. So I think you were ahead of the curve and I'm so glad you're there. I, I, you're 100% right about media literacy. And it's interesting that college students and kids understand this better. They pick it up much more quickly than anybody else. They, they are caught more than any other age group in those filter bubbles. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, their situation is much worse. The other yeah. hand is every time from, we have lots of examples of this. It's more anecdotes than hard data, but a lot of anecdotes where when you see these students and you show that to them, that they're actually not being open to diverse ideas. The younger generation almost as a religion, like, like World War II vets believed in God and country as a core value. 
Mm-hmm. The younger generation sees diversity of thought as a core value. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the information they're getting is not diverse at all. There actually has the least, they're in the tightest, horror, toughest bubbles, if you will. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you show that to them, they are the fastest to change. They immediately go, oh, what I'm doing is not living up to what I wanted to be. I need to know more. And they shift quickly. They understand and learn about the, the problems, even from media that's trying to do great. And a lot of media is not trying to do great things. But we're also seeing media shifting. We, we are now get making a lot, getting a lot of business from media companies, national media companies and different parts across the country that are asking us to help them be more objective in their news coverage. Which is and what your original, that's what your original ten years goal ago, was. 10 we years tried ago, and and You we tried and they were slammed. like, get out of here. <laughs> and, and now oh they're my coming gosh. to us because we can actually help them do what they believe in. Okay. Now, there are a lot of news organizations that are really kind of caught up in more, well, you know, the, the social media, whatever clickbait, whatever drives advertising mm-hmm. revenue. Mm-hmm. And it's a really tough time for journalists and news news organizations. And I, 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 I encourage people to kind of take it with, have a little empathy for what journalists are really up against. It's hard. Um, but since we're actually not only give you tools to make it help to make more objective, but also how to make money doing that, we're helping journalists and organizations do that better. But it, it's a tough ride. But it's so nice that so many of them now, and I know you don't see this a lot yet, but we're seeing shifts and they're coming to us to make those shifts to really well, do objective journalism. Better. Really, I, that's that makes me feel so much better. I mean, it's I, that just the two the last two things that you said, one about the, the young people, once they are shown that they're really in a filter bubble, they're they're like, oh, OK, let me get out of yeah. that bubble. I want to learn more. I love that. That gives me hope. And the fact that media companies are now coming to you and saying, okay, we think we can use your help here uh, to do a better job. Um, that's fantastic. So um, keep your fingers yeah. crossed. There, there yeah. is, that's why I'm saying <laughs> I'm both, I both more optimistic and scared yeah. because it's so bad so often. But there are so many good signs that we didn't have earlier, yeah. uh, things moving in the right direction. So we just have to keep keep at it. We got to keep at it. We got to keep having those conversations. Go enjoy your walk with Joan. <laughs> Come up with some some more great ideas to help us save ourselves. <laughs> and uh, then I need to have the I, next time. I'm going to have the two of you come on together. You think she'd be game? Oh, she totally would be. And and we love doing <laughs> stuff together because we we and and she also has a different tone of voice and yeah. a way of thinking about yeah. that that helps us so much. And so I I love doing stuff with her. I, I we both enjoy it with each other because we both see we're both going the same direction but we have a different style and a different way of thinking about it that's really fun oh great great okay well i will definitely have you both back and um john it has been a pleasure thank you so much really appreciate all of your good work and all the best to you thanks linda great seeing you again It really is heartening to hear that AllSides.com is growing. In fact, John shared with me that the company grew exponentially last year during the pandemic in 2021, when many other media companies were declining significantly. So hopefully AllSides.com will catch on and people will begin to get out of our filter bubbles. Please, please, please. Thanks so much again for joining us, for giving John permission to speak and for having the courage to listen with an open mind. If you've not already done so, you know what to do. Subscribe, like, and share, and then join us again for the next episode of Our Voices Matter podcast. We'll see you later. Bye.
Thanks again to our sponsor, BMW of West Houston. There's a special offer for members of the Our Voices Matter podcast community. Just click the link in the show notes, bmwwest.com.